Martin Luther King awakened the conscience of a nation when he gave his memorable speech on, to the nation's capital on a hot, sweltering day in August of 1963. Martin Luther King Jr. saw very clearly the racial injustice and prejudice that existed in the nation at the time. And with the power and conviction of a modern-day prophet, he spoke into that situation, calling the nation to a better future. He used carefully crafted words, turns of phrases that were memorable and that stuck in people's minds as he invited them to dream along with him of a better future together. And in that speech, one of the things he said was this. To all those people who had marched on the Capitol that day, he said, we cannot walk alone. And as we walk, we must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. We cannot turn back, he said. No, we are not satisfied and will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Now, those particular words at the end where he said, justice rolls down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream are often attributed to Martin Luther King Jr. because he used them in this speech. But what he was doing was he was echoing the words of prophets who had come before in the nation of Israel. In fact, anyone who has ears to hear can hear examples from a number of prophets uh, drenching the speech that he gave that day. Now, for anyone who wants to speak with the power of a prophetic voice, one has to use carefully crafted words and memorable phrases and turns of phrases to stick with people, to seek to awaken their conscience and to stir their souls. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at some of the words of one of those ancient prophets this day, a prophet by the name of Micah. He was known for his well-crafted words, for his turns of phrases, as he sought to influence and awaken his own generation. And one of the reasons we're going to look at his words at the beginning of this study is because Jesus himself had studied those words, lived by them, and actually echoed them in his own ministry as well. So as we look at these words, which are some of the most famous that he ever spoke, that is Micah, we're going to be invited to, to gain insight and to learn wisdom about what it means for us to be human in our own generation as well. So whether you're here today as a seasoned follower of Jesus, or as if you're here just kind of sticking your toes in the water like I mentioned earlier in the service, I want to invite you to listen into these words, words about what it means to be human and to live a life fully alive and in line with God's design. So we're going to call our study today, Do Justice, Love Mercy, and walk humbly. And so as we get ready to open these ancient scriptures, let's go together to the Lord in prayer and ask him to be our teacher this morning. Lord, as we get ready to open these ancient words by a prophet who lived some 700 years before the time of Jesus, we ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. As Martin Luther King Jr. echoed the words of prophets, and we saw how they had power even in our own day. Would you use these words from the prophet Micah to show us the relevance and power that's available in the gospel of Jesus Christ for us as well? And so be with us and teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we get ready to look at chapter 6 of Micah, what we need to know is that these prophets were not just powerful speakers. They acted in many ways as God's attorneys, bringing a case before a hardened people. And so when we open up chapter 6, it's like we're stepping into a courtroom filled with tension. And the stakes could not be higher. And so as the court is being called back to order, this is what it says in chapter 6, verse 1. 
Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. So it's like a courtroom is being assembled at Jerusalem, and the mountains and hills around Jerusalem are there, are there to hear uh, the defendant and the complainant. And in this case, the complainant is God. Verse 2 tells us, Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. So what's going on here? We're stepping into a story that has been going on for quite some time. In order to understand exactly what's happening here, let's just step back and take a big picture of the story of the scriptures and the Hebrew scriptures that these people had. Now, the scriptures tell us that God created this world and he crowned humanity with glory and honor and gave them the privilege of ruling this planet with him. They were designed to love well and to extend God's kingdom over the face of this world in the way they loved one another and the way they cared for creation. But as the story goes, our, our first parents turned their back upon their creator. They decided they wanted to do what was right in their own eyes. And we've been living with the disastrous consequences ever since. Well, God moved toward the mess of this world, the mess that humanity had made, and he called a single individual by the name of Abraham and promised that through him, through his offspring after him, he would indeed bring blessing. He would bring salvation to this world. And so Abraham's family eventually grew into what we know as the ancient people of Israel. And they had been in slavery in Egypt, and God rescued them out of Egypt and he brought them into a land that was flowing with milk and honey, made a covenant with them to be their God. They would be his people. And through them, he would bring blessing to this, this world. And so fast forward a couple of centuries. And God has an indictment to bring to his people. Instead of being a blessing to this world, they're contributing to the pain of this world. Instead of showing people what it looked like for a nation to live and walk with God. They were actually showing the nations new ways of doing evil. They had become a curse. They had become part of the problem. And Jesus would eventually come from this nation, but he's not going to be born for several more centuries. And so God sends this man by the name of Micah to stir the conscience of this nation. And so we're in the middle of this courtroom, seeing where God has an indictment against his people, and Micah is prosecuting the case. And so he quotes God as saying this, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. God is saying, what have I done? You have turned against me. You're living contrary to your design. What have I done to make you want to leave, to, to live in this way? I rescued you and brought you into my plan to bless this world. And at this point, you're center stage. But instead of being a light to the nations, you're spreading the darkness. So this is the indictment God has. He's trying to awaken their conscience. And so Micah has the people come forward, as it were, and this is what they say. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself down before the Lord on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? You can almost hear the contempt in their answer, can't you? You can almost hear them saying, how can we throw God a bone to get him off our back? They moved from what was kind of ordinary 
the sacrifice of animals to what was kind of ridiculous. Thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil. Will you be happy then, God, if we throw you these kind of bones? That was their defense. They didn't say, Lord, we're sorry for, for spreading evil, for inventing new ways of doing wrong, for all the hurt we've done. Their response is, what do you want with us? Your job is to bless us, and our job is to live our lives however the, excuse the fresh, however the hell we want. And that kind of attitude unleashed hell on earth in the nation of Israel. There was oppression. There was greed. The, the land was filled with violence. If you want an example of a nation that was spinning out of control, it was this land of Israel. And so God is sending his prophets. He's sending his attorneys to try to awaken their conscience, to call them back. But even though they're, they're moving really from the ordinary to the ridiculous, what they say next is absolutely insane. They say, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? If it will take me sacrificing my own children to get God off my back, then I will do that. Where did that thought even enter their mind? God never asked them to sacrifice children. That's what the nations around them did. And that's what they will eventually do themselves as their nation goes from bad to worse. Not at the time of Micah, but not long after him, they began sacrificing their own children to the gods in the nation, specifically Moloch, as they would place their infants on the burning altar and seek the pleasure and blessing of the gods. So this is the courtroom scene. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? God's trying to call people to to awaken their conscience, to, to stir their souls, to see how they're living. And so he sends Micah to prosecute the case. And the only answer they have is, what do we have to do to get you off our back so we can get back to doing what we want to do? And these are the famous words that Micah says in response. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. If you've been around circles that open the scriptures and study the Bible, you've probably heard these words before. If not, these are some amazing words, some, some of the most beautiful words spoken in the Old Testament. He has told you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with the Lord. You want to know what God wants? He doesn't want you sacrificing your children. He actually doesn't want all these sacrifices that you think will buy him off. What he wants you to do is to actually live the kind of life he's designed you to do, to be in line with that. And so he uses this word, O oh man. In the Hebrew, the original word is Adam, from which we get the name Adam. It was the word used in Genesis 1 when, in, when God said, let us make man or make humanity in our own image. And so here, there's several different translations I have up on the screen. The contemporary Jewish Bible translates it like this. Human being, you have already been told. The Christian Standard Bible says, mankind, he has told each of you what is good. The Lexham English Bible says, he has told you, O mortal, what is good. And the reason we want to bring this out and highlight it is because God is saying, look, humans, this is what it means to be human. In this broken world that we live in, 
what it means for you to be human is to be people who do justice, not injustice, who love kindness and mercy, not cruelty and oppression, people who walk humbly with God, who want to live before him, not people who think they can buy him off. He has told you, oh humans, what is good. Micah, in other words, is saying, look, this isn't an issue of ignorance. You know that you are called to love. God brought you into relationship with him so that you can show people what it looks like to live in a society where love excels. But earlier in his case against the nation of Israel, Micah said, you hate good and love evil. It's not that you're ignorant of what is good. The problem is, is you don't love it. You love doing what is right in your own eyes, which God himself says is actually evil. It's, it's against your design. So let's camp out a little bit here on these phrases that he uses. He has told you, oh humans, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? What does God want? What is he after? He wants you to do justice. Now, this is a phrase that is interesting. When Moses assembled the people of Israel right before they entered into the promised land, he called the leaders, and especially those who would be over Israel in, in, in giving counsel and in judging the people as judges, he said these words, you shall not pervert justice, you shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice, and justice only, you shall follow. So when God says, I want you to live justly, this is exactly in line with what he called them into being. There's a wonderful book called The Justice Calling that we're probably going to actually refer to over the course of this uh, little mini-series. And here the authors say, say, God calls us to join him in the pursuit of justice as we use our power to seek what is right and just in this world. When people use their power to enable others to flourish and live as they were created to live, justice is the result. Injustice occurs when power is abused to exploit, abuse, and even destroy. God has crowned humanity with the honor of distinction of ruling this world with him. He has called Israel into existence to be a light of what it means to, to live justly, to be a place where there's no oppression, where there's no prejudice, where there's no violence. And instead, what humanity has done, what Israel has done in that day, was use the power that had been given to them to do the exact opposite. So when we're called to do justice, we're called to exercise our power in the right way. A couple of verses I just want to bring to your attention. This is from Psalm 82. Here God says, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the rights of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. All of these are action verbs, Right? They're not something passive. It's something that, that you're called to do. This is from Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah was a contemporary of Micah speaking at the same time. He said, learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless and plead for the widow. He gives here examples of what it means to, to seek justice. And at the time, there were people who were very vulnerable. One modern-day scholar called these people the quartet of the vulnerable. They were the widows, the orphans, the immigrants, and the poor. 
These were people that over and over again, over and over again, God told his people to look out after, to give special care and attention to you, because these are the people who are most likely to be abused, to be taken advantage of, to be oppressed. Jeremy Treat in his book, Seek First, said, God's reign is good news for the marginalized. God's heart is for the poor, the fatherless, immigrants, and widows. These were often the most vulnerable people in society and were often taken advantage of or forgotten. But God has not forgotten them. He is the father to the fatherless, the husband to the widow, the provider of the poor, and the refuge for the immigrant. In the Old Testament, God identified with the marginalized. In the New Testament, he became one of them. And he says, look, basically, when you look at the story of Scripture and the older part of it, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, God identified with the marginalized. And then when we get to the story of Jesus, he actually becomes one of the marginalized. So to do justice is to actively pursue it, to seek it, to strive to bring it about, to do what we can when we see injustice or oppression around us, to set that situation to right. That's essentially what the idea of justice is, to set things to right. So the Lord requires you to live justly. He also requires you to, to love mercy. My translation that I read from a while ago used the word kindness. It's, it's the Hebrew word hesed. And it's a rich word, and it can be translated in a number of different ways, such as kindness, steadfast love, and mercy. Let me just give you a couple examples. From the book of Jeremiah, God himself says, I am the Lord who exercises kindness, hesed, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for in these I delight. The book of Lamentations says the steadfast love, that word hesed, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His compassions never come to an end. And in probably what is perhaps the most famous psalm in the Bible, Psalm 23, we hear these words from David, the shepherd. Surely goodness and mercy, is that word hesed? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So when this word is used in reference to God, it means God's love and action, as an Old Testament scholar said. This is God's movement toward a broken world, his heart to see things set right. And so when we're called to love mercy, as God loves mercy. This is really, this really exposes our hearts. It asks us to look and see how is our heart disposed toward our fellow creatures? Who are we at the very core of our being? Do we love mercy? We love to receive it, but do we love to extend it? We love kindness, especially when it's given to us, but do we like to extend it to others? So the Lord requires of us that we do justice, that we love mercy, and that we walk humbly. As Micah says, he calls you to walk humbly with your God. It's no incident. It's no small thing that God had called Israel into relationship with him. And it's no small thing, my friends, that you and I are given the invitation to walk with God, to live before him. That's an amazing thing. But what's not amazing is to think that we can manip manipulate God, that we can throw him a bone, that we can kind of fake him out and say, hey, God, look at this while we want to do this over here. He says, no, look, you're called to, the, to walk humbly before the Lord. And as some scholars say, that word can also have the, the nuance of, of walking wisely, deliberately, purposely. 
So my friends, here's, here's kind of a summary idea of what we're saying. To be fully and truly human is to seek justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. This is what Micah wanted his people to see. And this is, by God's grace, what we are designed to see this very day. So my friends, how are we living according to this design? Is your life a life that is in the pursuit of justice? Is your life a life that loves mercy? Is your life a life that walks humbly with your God? Sadly, sadly, the nation of Israel did not listen to Micah. In spite of all his crafty words, his turns of phrases, his artful hold of the Hebrew vocabulary, they hardened their hearts. They seared their conscience. They wanted nothing to do with what Micah said. They would not awaken to his wise words. And so the nation of Israel continued on the skid towards self-destruction. He warned them that they can't go on hurting one another like they're doing. They can't go on oppressing one another. They can't go on filling the land with violence. It has to come to an end. And one day, Babylon showed up at the doorstep of Jerusalem, looking to expand its empire. And Israel, rotting from moral decay within, was easily sacked. The citizens were carried off into slavery, back into the land of Abraham, the land of Babylon. And if you know the story of Israel, Abraham was called out of Babylon and given this promise that he and his family would be a blessing. And instead, his family grew into this nation that was a curse upon this world. And so they ended up back in slavery in the land from which their father, Abraham, had come. Michael would later say in his indictment against Israel, the godly have perished from the land, and there was no one upright among mankind. Can you imagine if there was a modern-day prophet that rose up in America and said these words, the godly have perished from the land. There is no one who is upright among mankind. What kind of society would that look like? How close are we to that in our own land this day? How are we filled with violence? How do we still hate and have prejudice toward one another? How do we seek to throw God a bone and sing hymns about God blessing our nation while we continue to do whatever the hell we want? My friends, we need to hear these words from the mouth of Micah. We need to hear these words as coming from God because it's into such a dire situation in this ancient land of Israel that God drew near in the person of Jesus Christ, who himself was the epitome of what it meant to love justice, to love mercy, to love faithfulness. And it cost him everything. Jesus himself was the victim of oppression by religious leaders. He was the victim of Political politicians, political politicians, that's kind of a redundancy, isn't it? (laughs) Power brokers in politics who cared very little about justice, very little about mercy. And so the leaders of Israel conspired with the leaders of Rome and nailed 
Jesus to the cross. And it's there that Jesus took the injustice and the sin of Adam, of humanity upon himself. He took the sins of his people into his body so they could be condemned. So that what we deserve would be passed on to him and God can pass on to us with love and grace and reconciliation. The scriptures tell us that Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might draw us to God, that he might bring us to God. And what beautiful news that is. But my friends, he did this not only to bring us to God, but also to make us the kind of people who do justice, who love mercy, and who walk humbly with our God. Or as Jesus said, folks who do justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So just a, point, a couple points of application, my friends. First of all, number one, embrace your calling to be truly human. Now, let us not make the mistake of thinking that just because we're human beings, that therefore we are being human. Let me say that again. Let us not make the mistake that because we are human beings, that therefore we are being human. To be human is to live according to our design. It's to live in line with what Jesus showed us and demonstrated for us. That's what it means to be truly human. So my friends, this is a, this is a wake-up call to embrace our calling of what it means to be human. Now, at one level, we know this. When we see great demonstrations of love, we want to praise those people. When we see people oppressing others and seeming to get away with it, we, we delight in seeing them get caught. We know that we're designed to live in a certain way. And so let's embrace this. And my friends, for those of us who are Christians, who, who call ourselves by the name Christian, who identify as followers of Jesus, there's even more to this. Not only has God told us what is right, not only has he showed us what is good in the person of Jesus, but he calls us to live in light of that as well. Listen to what Paul said, the apostle, in the book of Ephesians. He said, it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For, get this, for we are God's workmanship. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. My friends, I want you to catch this. That word workmanship in the original Greek language is the word poema. I'm not just putting that out there to, to impress you. It's the word that we get our English word poem from. It's used in the ancient language for works that are masterpieces. So it's no stretch to say, look, friends, you who call yourself by the name of Christian, you are God's work of art. You are his new humanity to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. God has ways he wants you to pursue justice. He has ways he wants you to love mercy. He has ways he wants you to walk humbly with God. And he's prepared those in advance for you to walk in. That's part of the reason why he brought you into relationship with him. Listen to how Paul says it to his protege Titus. He said, our God, our great God and Savior Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are 
zealous for good works. He goes on to say, remind them to be ready for every good work, that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. My friends, our, our good works have nothing to do with our standing before God. In fact, what we bring to relationship with God is, is a deficit. <laughs> we have reasons why we've broken that relationship a thousand and one times, maybe even a million and one times. God doesn't need your good works. He saves you by his grace and brings you in relationship to him. But he saves you so that you can live a new life that's full of good works. As Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but the reformer Martin Luther said, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. And God has called us to live this kind of life before him. And so the calling to seek justice and to love mercy is not an optional elective, but a requirement in the life course of being a human who walks with God. It's not an elective for us to pursue justice when you have opportunities to do it. It's not an elective for us to love mercy when there's a thousand opportunities for us to do it, even this week. This is a requirement that Jesus gives us as we walk with God. So my friends, the first point of application is simply to embrace your calling to be truly human. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, one of his designs is so that you can flesh that out and live it. The second one, this, second point of application is this. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Now, I'm echoing words from the Apostle Paul here in his book to the Ephesians, his letter to the Ephesians, after praying that they would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And what an interesting phrase that is. I wish I had time to, to, to go into that. To know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, which blows your mind. He says, he prays that. And then he says, I urge you, therefore, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have received. If we have received grace, relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, then we're called to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. And so, my friends, I want to ask you the question, what would that look like for us here in Bryan College Station? What would it look like for us in the places that we call our home, where we live and move and have our being? What would it look like for us here to pursue justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God? And we have out on the table these little coffee mugs and these little tumblers. And we didn't put Mercy Hill Church on these to give out to people, because probably only the pastor would really want to have something like that. But we decided intentionally to put a hashtag on there. Hashtag 4BCS. And this is a reminder for us of our calling here in Bryan College Station to pursue justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And so I want to invite you to pick one of these up if you don't have one for yourself and take it home. And every time you use it, whether your morning coffee or afternoon tea, or you're filling it up with some Big Red or Dr. Pepper or water or green smoothies or whatever you drink, to pause and to ask yourself the question, how am I called to live and move and have my being in this place that I call home? How am I called to live and move and have my being in such a way that I'm actually for this community that God has called me, at least at this point in my life, to live in? So my friends, as you think about that, let me just invite you to, to look to where your deep passion and our community's deep needs might meet. 
Maybe for some of us, it's to, to stop and say, well, what's, what's broken in this place? Where are there examples of, of people who are getting the short end of the stick, who, who are being oppressed, who for whatever reason find themselves at the bottom of the ladder? What are those places where I look around and I, and I see people making fun of others that maybe I should speak up and speak into that situation? Wouldn't that be a, a pursuit of justice there? Where are those places where we're called to look in our community and see people who need mercy, who need kindness, who need steadfast love? Everywhere we look, my friends, we have opportunities to live and move and have our being as human beings in such a way that we walk humbly before God in a manner worthy of that calling. To belong to Christ. This is from a book called The Externally Focused Church. To belong to Christ, to be adopted into his family, is to begin to care about what he cares about, to move outside ourselves and toward others in mercy and justice. If Jesus cares about justice and mercy and faithfulness, then we must as well. If he intentionally echoed these ancient words from the prophet Micah, and explaining what our design is, then we ought to care about those as well and walk in a manner worthy of that calling. My friends, Martin Luther King Jr. said famously, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. And calling people to march forward, to live for a better country, to seek better times for everyone ahead. He said, this is where we're going. The, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. My friends, what he meant by that was that the moral arc of the universe may be long, but it bends toward Jesus. As a Christian minister and as one whose language was drenched in the, the words of the prophets, including Jesus himself, what he knew is that there would be a day when justice would roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. There's a day when Jesus will come back and set this world to right and everything will be exactly the way it's supposed to be when he ushers in the kingdom of God. And so my friends, as we live in anticipation of that day, may your lives be marked by seeking justice, by loving mercy, and by walking humbly with our God until Justice rolls down like water and righteousness like a mighty river.